And also, uh, as you notice in your bulletin, uh, if you'd like for your children to go to uh, our children's church there, grade, ages four to grade three, you can dismiss, dismiss them at this time, and they will, uh, well, I keep thinking they'll be brought back to us uh, for communion, but I think you'll have to go find them after the service, if I'm learning the service. At, well, this is week four for me, so I'm, I'm getting there, I'm, I'm figuring things out, but I'm uh, not, not, not 100% there. Okay, if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of John. And before we read Scripture here, uh, just by introduction, um, this fall we're going to look at um, words from our Savior. And it's simply a series that looks at some of the unique passages that are unique to the book of John. And so we'll look at some of these discourses that are only in John and then the bulk of the series will be the I am statements uh, that Jesus himself uh, says, that I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection. And so that's what I mean by words from our Savior. And so this morning, um, it's, it's kind of unique because this is neither a discourse uh, or a conversation that we see Jesus having, as we'll see in the coming weeks, nor are there really uh, words uh, as in the I am statements. This is Jesus' first primary sign that John gives us in chapter 2, but it does set the trajectory for everything we'll look at and really what the book of John uh, moves towards as to who Jesus says that he is. And in this primary first sign of Jesus changing water into wine, he's actually pointing to, to what he has come to do that we'll see, and that is substitute himself um, as the purification for sins that, that God has promised uh, to bring, to provide for all humanity, and we'll see that this morning. But I just want to give us a little bit of introduction into this series as we begin Let's now turn our attention to the reading of God's Word, found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Follow along with me. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "'They have no wine.'" And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his, disciples believe, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. We pray now uh, that you would be with us, and we pray now that you would give us your spirit as you promised to do, that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would see things and hear things otherwise we could, we could not, that we would hear of your grace and that it would sink deep into our hearts, that would be made into good soil, such as the seed goes into soil, 
and produces a fruit, we pray that we too would leave here changed people. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. About 10 or 12 years ago, and you might recall this, um, Apple ran a, ran a marketing campaign that basically was trying to uh, target Microsoft. And Microsoft at the time certainly had uh, the lion's share of the, uh, the market when it came to computers and all those things. But if you remember, this was, this was the marketing campaign that, that posed uh, Microsoft in sort of this dated suit, kind of this Bill Gates-looking figure. Um, and then Apple represented this younger, cool, hip guy. And so um, the ads ran as follows. And they did these, uh, you know, for several years. And um, all the problems, you know, that we had dealt with with computers at this point, considered the, the old way of doing things, was the character of Microsoft. And then the new, fresh way of doing things was the character of Apple. Um, some of those ads uh, went uh, like this. The old man, the Microsoft person, he would be sick because he had a virus. And the new, cool, fresh, hip Apple person, he didn't know anything about that because he didn't get viruses, right? Um, the old Microsoft guy was so excited to talk about um, things like spreadsheets and the Excel program that they have coming out this year where... Apple was sort of interested in that, but he was more excited about music and videos and building websites that you could do with, with their uh, new computers and stuff. And so you, you may remember this, you get the idea. Apple was very successful in getting their message across that the old had passed away and the new had come. And this is what they were trying to market to, to, to us, and I think it worked. Now, Microsoft has pivoted. And they have um, done really well with that, focusing on business applications and growing their need for, for cloud space. But in the Steve Jobs era, which is when, that, when those ads ran, the message was clear, the new has come. Well, in John 2 here, the wedding at Cana, though this is not marketing, it is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what John is showing us in this first, and as I've said, primary sign is that in the coming of Jesus truly the old has passed away and the new has come. And it happening at a wedding is just as important as the actual sign itself of turning water into wine because with it, Jesus is not just solving a problem for this particular wedding. He's saying that he is here to solve a problem that the old way addressed and really only pointed to a permanent solution in someone to come in himself, in Jesus. And now that he is here, as he starts his earthly ministry, according to John, he is telling us in this sign that the fulfillment of everything that the old system pointed to has come. The story that was once in fear of being incomplete is now complete as Jesus has come to what? Substitute himself as the new, more superior system ushered in, of course, by his cleansing blood when his time, in fact, comes to when he is crucified. And this will be the theme, then, of the New Testament, as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so uh, for our sermon part of the service this morning, we're going to do something new. Um, just, this, is, this is what, you know, you showed up on Labor Day weekend and, and you get something here. So anytime in this service that you hear me say, the old has passed away, I want you to say, behold, the new has come. I want you to preach to me this morning a little bit. All right, so let's try that. Behold, or let's try that. The old has passed away. 
Not bad. One more time. The old has passed away. Good. We, I think by the end of this, we'll be, we'll be right where we want to be. And I want us to look at that basically by these three points here, that the, there's the problem that only Jesus can fix. There's the solution that only Jesus can offer, and there's the hope that, that, that Jesus offers here. So let me, let me read those again if you're taking notes. The, the three points we're going to look at uh, to that end. The problem that only Jesus can fix, the solution that only Jesus can bring about, and the hope that only Jesus offers. Okay? So let's look at those three things here this morning. The first one, a problem that only Jesus can fix. Well, for your average Presbyterian, after a quick reading of this text, we know exactly what the problem is here. And verse 3 tells us, if you're familiar with this text, when the, when the wine ran out, right? We, we get it. We know what the problem is here. Um, so the question, though, here is, is the wine running out really, is that the real issue here? And the answer is sort of yes and no, but it's more about what this wine running out speaks of, and it speaks of incompleteness, incompleteness. First, uh, just a little bit of cultural background here. The wedding ceremony or feast in these days was a week-long ordeal, Okay, it was a week long. It wasn't like modern day weddings where there was a ceremony and a reception and then everything was done. The primary function of the wedding was the feast between families that could last up to a week until the wedding was final. And wine, friends, was a major, major component of that wedding feast. I don't know if you've ever taken part in a Jewish Seder meal or anything like that. Wine is a huge part of those ceremonies and festivities. Second, though, everything that was needed for this wedding or the wedding in that day uh, and for that feast in particular uh, was up to the groom. It was the groom's responsibility to provide all that. He was responsible for there being enough wine and for there being enough everything. So everything rests on the groom here. And this is an important detail for understanding what Jesus is truly doing. But lastly, for the wine to run out, it would be a shameful and a complete embarrassment to the groom, to the groom's family. In fact, the wedding feast could literally come to an end. There's actually documentation of litigation going on between families should something like this happen. All to say, for this to happen would have brought great shame to the groom and his family as well, and it would have put the entire ceremony, the promise of that ceremony, in jeopardy. At weddings today, when the wine runs out, it just means it's time to go home, but not in this culture. As one scholar puts it, running out of wine was not just inconvenient, but a social disaster and disgrace. The family would have to live with the shame of it for a long time to come. So all of these put together, one can see why this is a major problem on several levels. The failure of the groom to provide the shame, the disgrace of this connected to the groom, but perhaps most important, putting the entire ceremony in jeopardy of finishing. In other words, what the wine running out really points to is this incompleteness of the wedding ceremony itself and the promise it spoke to. And for John, this promise points to a promise, though, beyond itself. There is the promise of the wedding ceremony that Jesus is choosing uh, to, 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 to enact and begin his earthly ministry, but it's also alluding to a bigger promise. And what is that promise? It's the promise that Israel knew uh, of its, you know, in, in its entirety. It is the promise that God made to them to redeem them, to redeem his people as King David uh, spoke of. 
It is the promise that God would give them new hearts and to cleanse them of their sin, as the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke of as well, and that God would be with them forever, as Moses said to them over and over and over, and the covenantal formula of, I will be your God and you will be my people. This was the promise. It was the promise to make uh, what is incomplete, our relationship with God and, and our relationship even with creation since the fall in the garden. It was the promise to make what was incomplete there complete, to make it whole, to fix it. And that is something that goes beyond Israel in the Old Testament and actually goes into the hearts of all human beings because of what our sin has done and the, and, and, and the brokenness of, of, of our world that we experience because of that. That along with all creation that groans according to Romans 8, we experience the incompleteness and the loss of the true joy and celebration that we were meant to experience by our oneness with God himself, our creator. The curse in our work now that is now frustrated and futile, is a, that our work is futile and frustrated is a result, though, of that fall. And we experience that on a day-to-day basis still. Right, the pains of childbirth birth and suffering in life. Right? There is no shortage of that today, right? That's not the way things were supposed to be. The tragedy of death and its invasion and ruin of God's good creation, all of it telling us over and over that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. And it leaves us wondering, will what was supposed to be ever come? That's the incompleteness that the promise speaks to. And what this wedding is sort of a metaphor of is that overarching promise that God had always given to his people that one day he would put the world to rights, that there wouldn't be this fear of incompleteness, of things not being brought and made uh, the way that they were supposed to be made. See, it's more than just about having a fun reception. There's a promise under all this that's in view. It's why Jesus chose to a wedding to initiate and inaugurate his earthly ministry. What is the metaphor we see all throughout Scripture of God's promise to his people? It is a wedding. So it's the bookends of the Bible. We see it in Genesis 2. We, we, we see it in, in Revelation. We see it in the, in the city of God, right, coming down, dressed, uh, um, ready, ready for his bride. All of that speaking to the promise that we have that God has given his people. At this point, in this wedding here in John, these people need a miracle. They need intervention. Not just for the sake of the wedding going on at place here, but as a reader of John's gospel, understanding the, 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 the significance of what this wedding points to, we need intervention as well. You need intervention. You need a miracle as well. You need God to do something. To not just produce more wine so that the show might go on, but to fix the problem the lack of wine points to. A covering of our guilt and shame. And a hope that what is truly incomplete, the missing, fractured relationship and oneness between God and mankind, that it might be made complete in a final marriage feast between God and his bride, the church. I need that. You need that this morning. The people in this wedding need that. Jesus, friends, is about to step into 
according to John, that incompleteness at this wedding. He's about to step into that incompleteness and intervene for people who have a problem that only he can fix. And for us this morning, the same is true. It's a problem that only he can fix as well. And by his grace, he does. And this gets to the second point, a solution that only Jesus can bring about. While the wedding party might only be interested in more wine as a solution to the problem, Jesus recognizes a deeper problem with a solution that only he can bring about. For what Jesus does at Cana is an announcement of sorts that God is doing something new. And we see this in how Jesus chooses to solve the problem. Imagine uh, with me for a second, right? You are, and this is not blasphemy, but just imagine you're the second member of the Trinity, right? You are Jesus, right? And, and you can produce wine from a thousand different places, right? You can do it. You can make it rain wine from the sky. You could pull it up from the nearby well and be discreet about it. I mean, whatever you want to do, you can make it from a thousand different places what would you do? How would you do this? Well, whatever you would say to that, it hopefully would draw your attention to the specificity of how Jesus chooses to make wine in this particular situation. Because instead of having it rain wine, which seems like maybe the, the, the better, more spectacular way to announce his ministry, he chooses to use the water, as you see in the text, that was used for purification. John's very clear about this. Look at verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. And what is that? God created and he had given Israel, quote, rites of purification or clean laws. And you can go back uh, this afternoon in Leviticus and, and read all about it. Okay. Um, and he gave them these clean laws to what? Deal with, in summary, the status of their relationship to him. Right. Their status of their relationship, they're sinful, they're unclean, God is holy, he is clean. He, he is the one who creates these laws that, that, would, that, would, that would, once it's bridged the gap to deal with the status of their relationship. And there were hundreds of these clean laws, laws pertaining to things like eating, or if they touched something unclean like pork or blood, or if they wore, you know, polycotton blends and different clothing. God created, what, an entire elaborate detailed system of ceremonial laws that would temporarily, and that's a key word, make his people clean so that they could be together. It wasn't full, but it was, it was, it was in part. This was to deal with the status again of their relationship before God. That is, it was a reminder of their standing before a holy God and thus a reminder of their need and dependence upon him to make them, what, permanently clean. So all of those ceremonial laws, right, that we kind of look over in the Old Testament, right, they were, they were there to point to what? Hopefully the one-day permanent cleansing that God would provide. Okay? But that's what John is showing us here the rites of purification are here. These stone water jars are here so that everyone in this day and age can do a ceremonial washing for the wedding feast itself. So without the water there to make people, quote, ceremonially clean, the wedding feast itself cannot happen either. And any Jew hearing this story would know this, which is what makes how Jesus solves the problem with the wine so important, yet controversial. Because the way Jesus decides to solve this problem actually cuts right at the heart 
of the Jewish purification system, the old system that God had established but was now replacing with his son, Jesus, by producing wine from the water that would be used for cleansing, Jesus is rendering the water for purification useless. And in this way, he is showing that in and by and through him, God is doing something new here. The mode of cleansing is being replaced by Jesus himself. He will substitute himself as the means for cleansing instead of the water. Therefore, water will no longer be what you run to to make yourself clean. If we could remember something from last week, you will run to Jesus in his blood alone. This is what he is showing us. Yes, the old has passed away. Amen. Look at the detail in verse 7 with me briefly. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Okay, now why add this detail here? Why does it matter that the water was filled to the brim? Well, this has everything to do with what John is trying to communicate to us about who Jesus is and what, it, what this means for the start of his ministry. Wine back then, as you may or may not know, was cut three or four times. And what that means is it was water was add, added to it three or four times to make it less um, potent, right? This is why you could drink wine throughout the entire week because, and so much of it in one sitting because it was so watered down. It wasn't as strong in the bo- as the bottles that we get today. And so John adds this detail to prove, one, that there wasn't anything else in that stone jar but water, Okay? Therefore, the transformation of water to wine is a what? Complete transformation. It is a complete transformation of the whole. And if all the water in the jars for purification is now wine, it renders them useless for for cleansing, for water cleansing. It is a full and complete substitute. And for John, therein lies the true solution and also the true celebration. The old system for purification is being replaced by the new. And it is being replaced by a new permanent system of purification, a better system by Jesus himself. He will be the one that makes us all clean as a substitute when his hour comes, as he says at the beginning of this text, which will be on the cross. That is where his death, at his death, he will receive, he, he will receive everything that makes us unclean. Everything that we were doing up to this point, right, to ceremonially be clean, to temporarily be clean, to have this sort of relationship that was incomplete and broken between God and ourselves, like to mend that, right, all of, all of that caused that, all that caused us to be unclean will go on to him at that moment. And what will we do? What will we get? We will get everything that makes him clean. We will get everything that makes him who he is, that makes him right, And as a result, he will be the one that makes possible the ultimate wedding feast to continue and to finalize. This is how God will bring about his promise. The marriage supper of the Lamb, it truly is a solution that only Jesus can bring about. And he's showing us how this is going to happen at this wedding. See, friends, the bottom line this morning is that you need a substitute I need a substitute. If you're, if you're walking away with something at this point, you need someone to intervene for you. I need someone to intervene for me. We cannot fix ourselves. We can, we, like, all the hand sanitizer is not going to change us. We have to have something better. 
And while the Old Testament pointed to the promise and the delivery of that something better, it is now here in Jesus himself. And this is why you'll hear me say, hopefully over and over a thousand different times, that Christianity, friends, is not about getting right with God. And I don't know if that's a confusing phrase for you, but when I, where I grew up, I always heard of people saying, I just got to go get right with God. And I never really understood what that meant, but it often meant going out into the woods somewhere and having some sort of like meeting with God where all of a sudden you were made right somehow by what you did, I guess. We don't traffic in that language because the Bible doesn't traffic in that language. We don't get right with God. We trust that God has made it right. Amen? In the person and work of Jesus Christ, he is the solution. That is what he is stepping into at this wedding. He is stepping into the solution for the incompleteness, the brokenness, and the helplessness that all of us experience. And here's the best part. It's free. It is grace, friends. And we'll see that as we head to the end of this story with the bridegroom of this actual wedding. But, but, but this is what we need. Make, make no mistake about it. We need a substitute. And Jesus is the only substitute that we can go to. He is the only solution for our problem. But it doesn't end there. We are not just to believe and, and, and that Christianity, therefore, is just and only about the forgiveness of sins, right? There's, there's, there's real hope here for where that sends us. And this gets to the rest of the story. And this gets to my final point, a hope that only Jesus can offer. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough to just end this account with Jesus clearly solving uh, the problem of wine for the wedding at Cana. What John wants for his readers to know is, 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 is more than just, okay, great, um, the wedding's going to continue. No, what John wants, him to, wants us to know is the goodness, the goodness of this new wine. And in fact, that it is better and far superior than anything else. And I love that he is adamant about doing so. Look back at verse 8 there. So they, at the end, so they took it, the wine, to the master of the feast. Beginning in verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Again, why is he adding this detail? And of course, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine of the poor wine, sorry, when everybody has drunk freely, then the poor wine, they bring it in last. Um, but you have kept the good wine until now. See, the wine did not, not only run out, but according to the master of the feast, it's actually better. And it's better than anything that they had served up to this point. It was common in that day to do this, right? To bring the best wine out. And maybe you've experienced this at some point um, where the best wine has been brought out. When people have had their fill, they don't really notice um, the, the more, less superior product that might come out later. It's a cheap way to cut a corner if you're trying to uh, have a big wedding, I guess. I don't know. Um, just guessing. But this is what they were doing but here the good wine, the new wine, it is truly better. And this is the hope that Christ offers. And, and there's several, several directions to go in with this at this point, but I'm going to go in two. The first is that it, it, the hope that it offers is because the threat of incompletion is now gone. The threat of what is incomplete, the threat of the promise not being fulfilled is now gone by virtue of what is happening here. And by virtue of the master of the feast saying, this is far better than anything that we've had. Leon Morris puts it this way, Jesus changes the water of Judaism into the wine of Christianity. 
the water of Christlessness into the wine uh, of the richness and fullness of eternal life in Christ, the water of the law into the wine of the gospel. So the hope is that there is no longer a threat of this incompleteness, of this brokenness, of the promise not being fulfilled, of the ceremony, as it were, not coming to an end. And we could just go there now uh, for our own practical purposes for believers. We don't have to worry about, because of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, will he come back? The promise is set. It will happen. This is what this means for you. In fact, though, everything, as we see here, is going according to plan as God has, uh, as God has planned. And, and it begs the question then as we, we kind of land the plane here uh, with this last point, whatever it is that you're drinking, as it were, to make life work, to patch the futility of this life, to seek completeness, it won't work. It won't work. And John is saying, calm and drink freely of what will. That's the invitation. Come and drink freely of what is far more superior than anything else. And the language that I would give to you all is what this means, is come and rest in him. Come to Christ and his grace for you and rest in him. This is the hope that we have because of the superiority of this substitute, of what he is doing, of, his solu- of the solution that is Christ. But second, there's real power to change here. And this might be, for me, the most fascinating part of the story. The new wine in the gospel of Jesus is not, just not superior and a promise of completion of all that you want and need. The new wine in the gospel of Jesus is transformative. It has the power to change us because it not only covers our sins, but it removes our shame. Did you notice the ending here? And, and, and I'm just going to be honest, most people that I've, I've, I've Study this with, or I've heard people, they don't, I've never heard this ending in this way, and I'm not saying anything about myself, I'm just thankful that this was shown in this way as studying this text, but the master of the feast does not call Jesus in, does he? He doesn't call Jesus in and give him thanks for what he did. Who gets called in? Who receives, right, the, 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 the honor and no longer the shame of, of perhaps running out of wine? Who receives the dignity and the guilt removed that would have caused or that would have come upon that person should the wine and the ceremony not come to an end? It is the groom himself. And what is he getting praised for? He's getting praised for something that somebody else did for him. He's getting praised for something that the better groom, as it were, the substituting work of that better groom did on his behalf. Jesus is saying then to us as well, right, the days of the wine running out, the days of sorrow and lament, the days of shame and guilt, those days of waiting for the wedding feast to be final, they are over. They are over because I am here, he says. This is what this means. I am here now, and I am the better groom, and I am the true groom. I'm the one true resting place for all that you cannot supply. I will cover your shame. I will cover your guilt through my forgiveness, through my blood. I will make you whole. And why? Because he's, he will marry you. That's the picture. And when he marries you as our groom, as we are the bride of the, of the, the church, when he marries you, you lack nothing. Do you get that? That's the power here. 
He has promised himself to you, and there is nothing because of what he has done, to, done for you, his substitution on your behalf. Whether it's the shame you feel for your past or future guilt, whatever it is, like the, 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 the shortcomings that we all bring into this room will never, ever mean that you do not have a share in him because of what he has done for you. You don't have to make it right anymore. You just have to trust that God has made it right in him. And he is our bridegroom. He's our better bridegroom. And in that marriage, we lack nothing. And that, friends, is how you will be transformed. Just to go on with the metaphor, those who are married in this room, right? I don't know what you think about marriage. I don't know where marriage has sent you, and I'm not here to talk about that. But the, but the biblical purpose of marriage, right, the goal that we shoot for is that it is a vehicle of sanctification for us. It's not about your joy and happiness. It's not about you becoming your best you. It's about you dying to yourself and serving somebody else. And through that, you are what? Transformed. You're, you're made more like Christ. It's not the only vehicle. It is a vehicle, right? The picture points to what Christ does for us as he marries us. You are with him. He is with you. This has transforming power. Because you get to go out into this world knowing that you lack nothing. And somebody who lacks nothing, and this doesn't mean that you don't get tired at times, this doesn't mean that you aren't broken and, and, have, and have hurts and pains, but when somebody doesn't lack anything, they have what? Everything to give. And sometimes that is just an ear to listen, or sometimes that is just your presence, because you know of what you have in Christ. This is what he is showing us through this miracle through this sign. And this is what he'll continue to show us as we continue on in John in this series. This is the hope that Jesus offers. It is, an, it, is, it is an end to the question of will this promise come about, but it is also the power to transform us because he unites himself to us in uh, an ultimate marriage as his bride, the church. Well, we've looked at these three things. The problem that only Christ can solve, a solution that only can be brought about by him, and the hope that only he can offer. And I simply want to end with, have you tasted this grace? And, and maybe that's been a, a big part of your story growing up, and yeah, I did that one time, it was great, but I haven't tasted it recently. Would this text be another example of his substituting work on your behalf, that he would go for you in this way to offer everything that is perfect about him that you would no longer have to carry the weight of your guilt and shame. And so that you would actually have a seat at the table. He is the one that brings us to this table. We bring nothing of ourselves. And it is his joy to do so. And what is our response? Celebration. Celebration. This meal is a meal of celebration. I love thinking about what the groom and the bride of this wedding did after the master of the ceremony honored them with this new superior wine. Okay? Do you know what they did? What would you think they would do? Right? You're going along, you're going through the ceremony, you have no idea that you're about to run out of wine and that this whole thing's about to come to an end. And all of a sudden, Jesus intercedes for you, substitutes one thing for the other, and now you're being told, not only right, is this party going really well, but man, you, you, have, you have saved the best for last. 
and an honor and shame, shame culture that would go a long, long way. What do you think they did? I, could, I can't be for certain, but I'm going to argue this. I guarantee you they filled their glasses and they returned to the table to celebrate. Because that's what Christians do. Because this is grace, friends. That's grace. They returned to a table that was set for them by Christ himself, and they celebrated. The old has passed away, friends. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And John, we thank you for the beauties of Jesus that we see and what he is doing here at Cana, a simple, simple miracle in one sense at a simple ceremony, a wedding, something we've probably been to hundreds of in our lifetime. But its significance goes far beyond what is happening in this text. And as we continue throughout John, we'll get more and more glimpses of the significance of what Jesus is doing and more importantly, who he says that he is. And I pray for us as a congregation, as a body here, that we would see that, that you would give us your grace to see that, that we would see Jesus as more believable and beautiful than anything else that our hearts, uh, that bids for our hearts' affection and our desire to confess and lay those things down uh, to receive him, to desire him because of the work that he has done for us. Would your grace transform us in that way, we pray. We ask this in his name alone. Amen.